already in 1 Peter, uh, we'll be in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, and we've, it's been a long time coming to finally get here. Um, I understand last week, so I, my, we had COVID in our house, we're fine, we, we're in the very happy, super benign, no problem experiences, but I've been in quarantine for two weeks, so it's nice to get out of my box and to finally be here, but I know that, uh, that uh, Bob Blacksmith taught last week, I listened to your tape, Bob, you did a fantastic job, and I really appreciate you covering all the material leading up to this, the pinnacle of the book. We've been, I feel like now that it's finally time to teach this week's passage, We've been talking about it the, literally the entire time. But let's take a look at it. Um, and we're finally at this, this climax. Um, in fact, actually, let's not. Don't look at it. Okay, I wanna, I'm going to quiz you when we jump into this. Um, what have I been saying is the pinnacle? What is, what is the thesis, the, the chief exhortation of First Peter? What's the claim? We're aliens we're aliens and strangers. We're aliens and strangers. We're aliens. Okay. And we've said that endlessly for the last, whatever, four weeks or something. We're aliens and we're strangers. This is the passage. We're finally there, but don't look at it, okay? All you cheaters with Bibles, don't look at it. Because I, wanna, I want you to consider with me, if, if I were to say, listen, you're aliens and you're strangers, and this is the essence of that. This is the central reality of what it means. Don't look. Are you cheating? Stop it. What does it mean? That you're aliens and strangers. What flows out of that? What is the exhortation? What it, maybe you might say, what is it that aliens and strangers do? You might say, well, what is it that makes us aliens and strangers? What's the, what's, if, what, if I say, go be an alien, and you're like, okay, but I mean, operationalize that for me. Like, what do you mean, go be an alien, go be a stranger? What is the, what might be, let's get a few ideas on the table. What's the essence of alienness? In what manner are we strange? Okay, this is your question. In fact, before anybody answers it out loud, I'd love you to, like, come up with a, you don't have to say it, but think of an answer. What does it mean? What's the central thing that would make you a freaking weirdo? Okay? If you did this, you'd be unlike everybody else. Okay? So think about it for a second. What would make you weird? What is Peter driving at? You want to take a stab? I think, and it's happened to me a lot because I was in the military. I moved around a lot. So I would go to new communities and different churches, and people were, like, afraid of me or something. You know, just that being new in a community is scary. Okay, so... So the, the essence of alienness is that other people are going to be a little bit in, maybe intimidated by you. Okay, and that's probably true. Okay, that, or, and, and I, if, it's, if it's not true that they're afraid of you, it's often true that you're afraid of them. It's hard to be in a new, in a weird community. Kelly and I, we, we weren't driving all over the state of Virginia last night. We, had, we were trying to buy a new car. Went to a couple of used car places and succeeded, but took a little bit of effort. And on the way back, we stopped at this Mexican restaurant. And I am really, really sketchy about like, I'm, I'm super snobby about food. If I pull into a restaurant and it's not like, um, if it's not up to my standards, I'm just not going in, okay? Like I'm just really, really snobby, except Mexican food. <laughs> the more filled it is with illegal immigrants, the happier I am. Like I want, like, I love my Mexican, the sketchier, the better. And we, and we found like the sketchiest Mexican place on earth. We couldn't even find the place. There were no lights outside. We walk in, it's a pool hall. There's no white people there. It's like, it was, it was phenomenal, right? But I'm also, the whole time where they're like, we're like, we don't 
this is not for us. Like, we're, we don't belong here. We, we found, like, the inside track on some, like, secret society of Mexican people in some tiny town in Virginia, and it was glorious. But it's weird to be an alien. We, were, we felt like aliens there eating their delicious food, okay? What, what's the essence of alienness, do you think? Don't look at it, but what, what do you think it means? What is Peter going to say? You're aliens, ergo, uh. Cat? We're in the world, not of Okay, we, and we hear the phrase all the time, we're going to be in it, but we're not going to be ever, so we're going to walk like them. We're going to walk in their world, but we're not going to do the things that they do. Okay, very good. In the world, not of the world. What's it mean to be an alien? What's it mean to be a stranger? Hamiltons? Who else? You want to take another swing? Yeah. Okay, different how. Like what's, what's the essence, though, of the difference? What's particularly? Our love for Christ. Okay, so we love Jesus. Nobody else loves Jesus. We love Jesus. That's a good thing. That's a difference. One more. What would be strange? Lily? You're canning me because I can't cheat. But what comes to mind is, is being salt and light. Okay. You can't be more vastly different than something that preserves rather than is perishing and something that is light and that's in dark. Okay. So... The, the whole salt and light. So what salt does is it preserves, it keeps things, you know, you, we don't do this so much, but you salt your meat so that it's not going to, like, decay. We are preservative, so we're different because we're not going to bring destruction. We're going to bring, uh, whatever, restoration or wholeness or preservation to the world. These are all great ideas. But, curiously, none of them are what Peter says. Check it out. Listen to this. So now that we know that we don't know, take a look. First, Peter, you can, you can cheat. Tell me if it doesn't surprise you what you see. That according to Peter, the essence of alienness, the centrality of our strangeness is this. Dear friends, this is verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to, you ready? Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Isn't that interesting? Okay, you want to be weird? You want to be different from everybody all around you? Here's what I want you to do. The thing that your, your own sinful desires, your desire for revenge, your desire for um, illicit gratification, your desire to spend all your stuff on yourself, your desire, whatever, you, your, the sinful desires that are like present with you all the time. If you want to be a weirdo, say no, Right? Don't do it. Abstain from this, your natural inclination to get all that you can, your natural inclination to punch back when somebody punches you, your nat- whatever that is, if you will suppress that, you'll be unlike everybody in the whole freaking world. So do that. That's what he's saying. As aliens and strangers, abstain from the sinful desires. Which, and what are they doing, by the way? What are your sinful desires doing? According to Peter, they are warring against your soul. That's not outside, okay? A lot of times, as we've been ta- as we've been talking about, kind of this great big lead up through Peter and looking at a decadent culture and the decay of things over the centuries and all that kind of stuff. There's been a sense of this external world, all these nut jobs around us that believe things that aren't true and that are just, you know, the loss of reason and truth. That we talk all that kind of stuff. But now that we finally get to the pinnacle, the center of this thing. The war is not, it's, who's warring against the soul of Tom Rowe? Tom Rowe? 
It's your sinful desires, your own internal, there's, this, so there's something internal to you. And the battle that we often want to fight is the battle against those guys, the bad guys, the ones that are screwing everything up for the rest of us, and we want to go fight with them. And Peter said, well, hold, hold, hold on, that's not very weird. That would not be alien, that would not be strange. Everybody does that. You want to be weird, you fight this one. You fight the internal battle. When you have this longing internal to you to do things that are not okay, you fight that because that's, that's what makes it strange. Does, it, does this, any of this strike you as bad news? Like this is difficult news. This is like good grief. Like I, I'm much more interested in a fight with, I just bought a used car, okay? I'm like in fight mode, right? I'm like on the phone with these guys and it was actually like, we're like, Let's fight. I'm wanted to fight with them because they're going to screw me if I don't. And so, like, I'm all, but and then I get then I get done that and I'm preparing for this and I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> right? Because I have not been being alien and strange. I've been like fighting with people for the last three days about buying a car, and now I'm like, I am supposed to be fighting. There's a war against my soul that's internal. What does that mean? And then he goes on. Look at how he fleshes it out. This is really where I want you guys to, now, now that we've got that framework, he expands on it in verse 12 and he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Okay, you got four clauses there. Number one, live such good lives among the pagans Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What does it mean to live such good lives among the pagans? Let's start with that. What does that mean? Live such good lives among the pagans. What does it look like, you guys? In this, and I don't care what Peter thinks at this point. I care what, what's it like in 2021, United States, Southwest Virginia. What does it mean to live good lives among pagans? Who's raising their hand? Yeah, John. We need to show our behavior are actually living by our standards. Okay, so show by our behavior that we're living by a higher standard, okay? What does that mean, like, actually right now today? What does that mean? What do you need to do tomorrow in order to have lived a good life among the pagans by tomorrow night? What do, you, what do we do? What do we do? What do we not do? What do we do? What, what does it actually mean in the moment? Yeah, Kat? Specific acts. It could be, yeah. You could give me a specific thing. What is it, how do we do that? We love people. Okay. In specific ways. Okay, so we're looking. So we look for specific ways to show love to somebody. Like when I go to work, I want to do my job the best I can. Okay, so you're gonna do your you're gonna do your job with excellence this is a huge. That's a that's an old whole conversation how we how we actually carry out our vocation. So pursue excellence, show love. It's great. What do we need to do? Yep. We don't conform to what the world wants us to do. We. Uh, we live, we represent Jesus in everything we do. You know, if somebody, he, he told us all in Matthew 5, you know, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. So if somebody punches you, you don't fight back with evil. You fight, love wins, period. That's a very Peter concept. Peter says that 
over and over throughout. If you read through his letter and you just look for all the times that he's fleshing out basically the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he, this, this verse is an extraction from the Sermon on the Mount. You'll, maybe you'll see that in a second. But um, he, he's going to say over and over again, listen, Christ left you an example. Like they beat him to death and he didn't retaliate. That has implications for you, right? Peter's, Peter is huge on a nonviolent response to evil around us. Right? It's a massive theme. It just shows up over and over and over again through his letter. So yes, so we, it means we're going to take the hit. That's going to be one of those things. Yeah. Uh, means maybe we obey the law and live moral and upright lives. Okay. Now, obeying the law, we're going to save that. I don't know if we'll get there. To, we might get there today, but if not, it'll be next week. Because the, literally the next line, the very next verse is submit to authorities. And that is, that's a, that's a surprisingly important topic because it's, it's less intuitive to people than I think it should be what that means. But absolutely, yes, it's going to be Peter's first thing. And in fact, let me just say what Peter's going to do here. Now that he's made his point, hey, listen, as aliens and strangers uh, abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. The rest of the book, the rest of this book is a particularization of that. It's going to say, well, what does it look like to be an alien and a stranger in this context? What's it like to be a strange wife and a strange husband and a strange citizen and a strange employee and a strange, you know, what does all that look like? Um, and his, his, his lead-off category is citizenship, is to be obedient to the authorities. So that's going to be a massive topic. I don't know if we'll start it today or not. We'll see where this conversation goes. But yes, amen, absolutely. All right, you guys can duke it out. Who's next? Uh, uh. Uh, there are a couple verses that come to mind. One is in Ephesians and the other is in Philippians. And in Philippians it says that um, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be innocent and blameless children of God without regular blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine the stars in the sky. That's a mouthful. But um, I think in terms of being super alien, that's, that's one. If you do things without grumbling, that is what makes you shine a star in the sky in the midst of the crookedness that, that yes. we're in the midst of. And the other verse that comes to mind is in Ephesians, uh, where Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. So if we want to be, I, and I feel like those are kind of the epitome of the love that Christ is calling us to that is so strange and that does make us stand out so uh, unequivocally from all the world. Excellently. Tommy, you want to add to that? Yeah, I was um, thinking uh, visibility um, is, is pretty key there. You know, how are the Gentiles uh, supposed to know what types of lives we live if we hide from them, if we stay in sealer as, as, a, as a people? And likewise, if we should live in a way that's worthy of being visible then. Yes. And so, um, you know, like there, we have a lot of friends that, like, or a few friends that would talk about, you know, they just don't have any friends who aren't Christians. And, and it's like, what kind of ministry can you have to non-Christians if you don't know them? Yeah, and that phrase, live such, it doesn't just say good lives, right? It says live such good lives among the pagans. There's a sense that we're out there, that we're available. Okay, but now here, okay, Rachel. So I don't think these are mutually exclusive when I say this, but um, at what point does righteous anger come into play? Like at what point, so we're living, we're, you know, we're, we're dying to self, we're not indulging in sinful desires, but the Bible also shows that there's a time where we should stand up and we should say something and we should. And I never know, like, I, my default is going to be like, I'm just not going to say it. And sometimes. 
when that time comes, but I just never know when I should be. Yeah, okay, Rich, it's such a, I'm so, okay, I really appreciate that. That's, it's a great segue to where I want to go next, because here's, okay, the question is, live such good lives among the pagans, okay? It doesn't say live such good lives according to the pagans, okay? So this is, a, this is something that's really important. You could read this first clause, and you could think it means live lives that the pagans will approve of. Live lives that appease the pagans' sense of propriety. Live lives that the pagans will say, yeah, you're a good guy, you're on our team, we like you. You could think that. But that's not what it says and it's not what it means. Okay? In fact, the very next line is, live such good lives among the pagans that what? what look at it. What does it say? That excuse you of doing wrong. That they accuse you of doing wrong. And what's your translation? That they, that they speak against you? As evil. They speak against you as evil. Okay. So it doesn't mean, there, there's an incredibly strong, incredibly strong um, pull to do the things that will win approval from the crowd. Right? And sometimes, even from the crowd that we're hoping to reach, we, we're, we're evangelists, we want to reach the world, and so we're going to speak in terms that are palatable to them. But that's not what Peter is saying. Our, the, the standard of goodness is a divine standard of goodness, and it may contradict the standard of goodness of the pagans among whom you live. Do you hear that? This whole book, you're aliens, you're strangers, you're freaks. And so when he says, be good, your goodness, he does not mean appease the culture. He does not mean do what they want. Don't do the things that are good according to them. Do the things that are actually good. They're still going to accuse you. Of, well, well, watch what happens when it, when it comes down. But they're still going to accuse you of doing wrong. Okay? I'll give you an example of this. Um, so tomorrow is Martin Luther King, is the day that we honor and celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., right? So my fellows and I, we, we're going to meet tomorrow afternoon. And we always meet on Monday, Monday afternoon. Um, we usually we have seminary. We have no seminary tomorrow. So what we're going to do in that time is we're going to read a letter that you may, may you may have read it. You may have had to have read it, or maybe it's kind of passed you by. And it's um, you guys know the letter from a Birmingham jail. Is this a familiar thing to you? Um, can anybody give me like the the, the thirty seconds? What is that letter? What what is the nature of this letter from a Birmingham jail? I mean, how it, how it goes and what what it's what it's about. The message that the king was communicating there. Is it familiar? He's, in, he's the author. He's in jail. And he's right. Do you know who he's writing to? He's writing to Christian, white Christian pastors. And the white Christian pastors have communicated to him, hey, listen, like, dial it down a little bit. Okay? Like, just, just, just relax a little bit. We'll get there. But what's the urgency? Like, slow the thing down. And he writes a pretty stern rebuke to them. And he says, I got an idea. How about if you guys since you're pastors and all, act like Christians. <laughs> and he just, it's a, you should read the letter, right? And his call, he's not seeking in that moment to be good according to their standard. But he's saying, you guys, he's, he, he's, he's appealing to a higher standard, an actual standard of goodness, not theirs. And he's calling them to it. And of course, well, I don't know how the, how the particular specific men that received that letter felt, but I doubt they liked it very much. I think is probably a pretty fair guess, right? And so it is with us. There is unbelievable pressure at any moment to live such good lives according to the pagans, right? And I recognize that I'm shifting between pagans and Christians, but I do think these were particular Christian men that were out of step with biblical Christianity, Amen. right? And so he is 
speaking to them according to not their vision of goodness. Their vision of goodness was shut up, relax, stop making such a scene. He was appealing to a higher standard of goodness, right? So we need to do the same, right? And there will be times, I think, where though we are living, we are living good lives. Nevertheless, clause two is, and in the midst of doing a good job, they're going to accuse us of doing wrong. At which point we might want to punch them back. At which point Peter says, no, 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 no. You can't do that, right? Because we have this extraordinary example of one who was, did Jesus live a good life? How did they feel about him? Not good, right? So the evidence that you're living a good life is never going to be that the crowd approves of you. Like that's not, that's not, biblical Christianity is not winning the approval of the crowd. They're going to hate you. But, but Peter's also, we'll get, we'll get there when we get there, but he's going to say, hey, so they might hate you, but they might hate you because you're being an idiot. Like the fact that they hate you doesn't mean you're doing a good job. Right? We got, you're going to have to be discerning. Like, is, it, is this a situation, Rachel, where my, my anger is unrighteous? Very possible. Very, very possible. Or is this a situation where my, my anger is righteous? I don't, I don't know. It depends on the thing. But, but it, it's not the case that you need to appease the crowd. You might need to rebuke the crowd. Yeah, I think I just, um, whenever I read passages like this, I, my, I don't know why, but my go-to is what shouldn't I do? What should I not do? What should I not do versus what action am I not taking that I shouldn't take? Yes. Well, and that's fair. I mean, well, there's things of, there's the commission and omission, both matters. But are you saying that, do you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that your inclination is to be recessive or passive in that? Right, like when it says abstain from your sinful desires, I'm thinking, what am I, Oh. what, what should I not do? Yes. What sin of omission am I committing because I'm not Yes, and, that, and you, that's perfect. You should think that, right? Because it may be, because the easiest thing in the world to do is nothing. You know? And it might be that you need to like, were you in the first service? Okay, so you'll hear Massey, wherever Massey's sitting. His whole, his whole where'd you go, Mike? Have you ditched out on me? Um, um, his whole message is about living with risk. And, and sometimes it's like, what do I need to do? What, and what way do I need to step forward and do this thing? And there are good things you need to do. But you guys, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take an awful lot of wisdom to figure out, okay, in a world that is sick and, the wor- and dying, who are constantly giving me a hard time for taking this, that, or the other position, how do I figure out what is the right biblical role, what's the right biblical position, and hold that? Even, how can I be good, genuinely good? I'm not going to give way to my own sinful desires, which are to like lash out or to be hateful or to be whatever, but I'm also not going to just seek to therefore appease and stroke the crowd that is believing nonsense, crazy things. How do I do this? I'll give you, I, we may have talked about this, I can't remember if we did or not, but um, a, a great example, I, I think of this, would be the J.K. Rawlings kind of like controversy that's been raging for the last number of months. Are you, have we talk, do you know what I'm talking about? Did we do, did we do that here? Briefly, yeah. Okay, so briefly, like, so J.K. Rawlings is obviously one of the most famous and successful authors. She's the author of the Harry Potter series. Um, her own personal politics would be pretty left-leaning, her own views on, on the transgender issue would be significantly different than my own. And yet, despite being very liberal in her understanding of transgenderism and very supportive of all sort of stuff, she still has made the assertion that transgender women are in some way different from women. And for that, the claws are out. I mean, like, it's just an absolute, like, full, she is 
you know, you can't read her books. She, she can't be invited to speak anywhere because she made the assertion that transgender women are distinct from women. And she wrote a letter. It's really, it would be worth reading her letter just if, only, if only to see that <laughs> when you try, when you're, if you're going to play the appeasement game, you're going to lose. Okay? You cannot be left enough for the super left. You, you can't. It won't ever happen. And if you are chasing this, if you are trying to be increasingly and increasingly and increasingly um, under the approval of this slice of the population, you will never get that. You will sacrifice everything and end up with nothing. So don't. Instead, love radically. Tell the truth. Be willing to be reviled. Do good in the sight of God, even though you're going to live under accusation. But don't. Like, I think there's an awful lot of Christians, an awful lot of young Christians that are chasing the approval of a crowd that their approval doesn't matter and they're never going to get it. You're never going to earn it. So just stop. And instead, do the work to say, Lord, what does it mean? What does goodness look like according to you? And it probably doesn't look like what you want it to look like. You have your own sinful desires. You're going to have to contend with that. But don't chase that. Live such good lives among, not according to, the pagans so that Though they accuse you of doing wrong, and that's not going anywhere. What's the third clause? Bring glory to God. Uh, that's the fourth clause. What's the third? Yep, that's the fourth. Th- what's the third? They see your good deeds. Okay. Now, at, by this time, you might be hearing. Do you hear Jesus? Do you hear that? What is what is Peter quoting? By the time you get to this third clause, it might you might start to hear Jesus's voice. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds. Is Jesus popping out of this yet, Fetz? Yeah, I do. It's where he talks about being the light. That's right. How does it go? It's, Matthew, it's Matthew 5. How, do, you, do you have it? Can you? Yeah, it says, uh, you, uh, you are the light of the world, and uh, let your light shine. No one puts the light under a bushel. In fact, let your light shine so that folks will see your good deeds and glorify God. That's it, exactly right, yep. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Okay, this is, that's exactly, Peter's, this letter's got all kinds of taps to the Sermon on the Mount, to Matthew 5, 6, that, that whole space. It might be interesting to go read the Sermon on the Mount and then go read uh, 1 Peter and be like, oh, I see that you were reflecting, you probably, you was in there, he was there when the Sermon on the Mount was given and he's reflecting on the things that he's heard Jesus say probably many times, okay? So, they don't like us. And they're going to be accusing us of doing wrong. And nevertheless, we want them to see it. We want to be visible. We want to be outside. We want to be observed. We're among the pagans. And we're living our lives in good deeds. We're showing love. And we're being gracious. And we're telling the truth. We love these two things. We love accurate statements about reality. Even if you don't, we do. And we love to show mercy. We love to take the hit. We love to not revile, even as we're going to keep, we're going to live in this horrible place where we affirm truth and we're gracious. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we're going to do that and we're going to let him watch. This is what it looks like. This was honestly the genius of Martin, this, forgive me, the Martin Luther King, but it's, we're, we're, he's very much in my mind these, you know, right these days. The genius of Martin Luther King was that he's going to let the whole world watch them. His, the nonviolence of his protest. Like, let them watch. Take it. Take it. And let the cameras roll. That, that, he was doing this. He was living out. And he was training 
the, the men and the women that were following him to say, listen, we are, not, we are never going to throw the punch. But we're going to get punched all the time. And we're going to let the cameras roll. Let it be seen. Let the world see eventually the, the damage of their own hatred. And we are gonna, we're going to be willing to let ourselves suffer in order for the world to finally see the hideousness of the ways that they function. That's, that's hard. That's really, really hard to do. Are Christians willing to say, that? bring it on, or are we going to like jump into our fighting stance and kick them back? Peter is advocating something very different than Martin Luther King. He understood, listen, this is going to be harder, it's going to be more painful, but it's going to produce a greater effect because this is how the kingdom works. This is how it, how it goes. And just a, something that makes me think about is like when we hear people talk about blessings, they're like, oh, I was blessed with this car, or blessed with this house, or blessed with this job. But when we really look at the definition of a spiritual blessing, Jesus, you know, told us all of them in the Beatitudes. And one about this is, is blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. That's right. For it is great in heaven. That's exactly right. I mean, so when we do get persecuted and reviled, because it's going to happen, he told us, and this is what Martin Luther King was doing. He was, he was glad. He was like, come on, guys, this that's is right. awesome. That's, ex- that's exactly right. That he, he understood some, he's, I think he read Peter better than maybe the white church was reading Peter and realizing, okay, how does the kingdom grow? How do things come about? Well, it's probably going to have something to do with the way that Jesus brought about the kingdom. If the kingdom was born through his patient suffering, right? If he became king, Jesus became king through his, his patient welcoming of unjust suffering. Doesn't it make sense that it will continue to grow? Purpose, God's purposes will continue to come about through his people's patient endurance of unjust suffering. And I, I recognize, like, when you look, when you say, like, oh, that sounds shockingly like Jesus, then it's, it's a pretty strong case to make. And yet, I hate it. Right? I would like my prosperity, I would like God's purposes to come about through my enrichment. Right? Through my ease. Through my getting everything I want as soon as I want it. That would be perfect. But that's not, the, that's not how it works. That's, never, that's not how the kingdom came, came to, into being. It's not how it has grown through the centuries, and it's not how we're going to win the world today. If our job is to win the world, right, to draw people to the Savior, it's going to come as we walk in those footsteps, which is why it's going to, I just think, it's, it's going to get real. And are you in? Is this who we want to be? Do we want to be the people, and it's through our suffering that others finally see, oh, 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 oh. I would rather be part of a community that has such a durable joy that they will endure that instead of these that will fight tooth and nail to, just to keep their stuff, right? And again, as, as I, don't like, I don't like anything that I'm telling you at all, but it is, it is what the scriptures teach, right, Lily? Um, I, I think there are some things that are being gotten at, like, for instance, you mentioned joy several times, and Peter, you know, goes on to talk a lot, of, a lot about the joy and rejoice in your persecuted, you know, but I think that, um, I feel like there's a need to address the temptation to strive and to do something <coughs> and to endure suffering because of that, but that's not how Christ endured suffering 
It was for the joy set before him. That's right. He the cross. And I heard someone preaching recently about um, when, when you have passion, it looks like sacrifice to other people who aren't in love. So we're in love with God. We're practicing his abiding presence. We look like Stephen, who when he was being reviled, they looked at him and said, and everyone knew he had the face of an angel, which I can only imagine is the presence of God in him. Yeah. But I think that the temptation for us is, again, to, to not just claw and scream to keep those things that we want, but also to even treat our relationship with God like that, whereas he just wants us to, to love him. Yeah. We, we draw our strength, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I just want to like contradict that um, that temptation that we all have to, to bear through all these things joylessly. Yes. Instead of allowing his joy to be our strength and what That's right. Yeah, and that's that they go back to that thing. So the our, the great anchors of our lives are that we have um, we're gratitude for the past and hope for the future. And it is the hope for the future. This it's it's uh, Hebrews 12, right? It's this, for the joy set before him, hope, the future happiness, he endured the cross. It was the expectation that this is going to end incredibly well. Like, it's going to be, un, your life will be marked by endless and increasing happiness. And therefore, in light of that, what's, in light of the joy that is coming and the, and the desire that others would be partakers of it, we're willing to take the hit today. That has to be the thing that drives it. And it was for Stephen. I was, so, I was supposed to preach on Stephen last week. And I was supposed to preach this morning, but everything COVID ruined everything. And so I want the thing I want, I'll show you this. Go, go here. Since we bring up Stephen, I'm just going to like shove in a bunch of stuff that I wanted to say. Okay. Stephen, here's, here's the beauty of, and what's so clear in, this, in Stephen's account. Go to Acts 6. Go to Acts 6. No, go to 7. Go to the end of it. Um, Stephen only gets Acts 6 and 7. And what, the way that Luke records his life is designed to make a very simple, not simple, but a very stark point, okay? Here's, what you, here's, what, here's the secret of the book of Acts that you should know that you might not know. Um, at the very end of his speech, go to Acts 7.51. He's been given this history of Israel. And at the very end, 7.51, he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. And now it's on. And when they heard this, they were furious. And they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, check this out, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now this is the first hint. And it might be a little bit subtle, but that's an illusion right there. Verses 55 and 56 is meant to draw something to mind. Do you know what it is? This is Jesus' trial. When Jesus is on trial and about to be crucified and he has this dialogue with Pilate, he too spoke about heaven opening and the Son of Man being at the right hand of God. And Stephen is invoking that. And then as it goes on, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Um, and while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Also, an is that one more obvious? Does that remind you of anything? No. Jesus on the cross. Father, receive my spirit. Okay. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that ring a bell? 
Again, where are we? We're back on the, okay. Everything about Stephen's life is meant to be, to be like, hey, I've seen this somewhere. And what you're meant to see is that S Stephen is taking his cues from Jesus. That whatever Jesus did, Stephen does. So Jesus gets killed, and so Stephen gets killed. Stephen's, we know Stephen is the first martyr, but he's not really the first martyr. He would be the second martyr, okay? And he is, but he is the first follower, and that means something, okay? He's the first one to imitate Jesus in his death, but not just in the fact of his death, but in the manner of his death. And there's all these clues, all these cues that are like, hey, 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 and it points us back to him. Well, that phenomena is not unique to the book, uh, to Stephen. It just pervades the book of Acts. If you go through, you guys, everything important that happens in the book of Acts already happened. All of it. The whole, we, we, you can walk through it. I could show you probably literally 30 discrete, specific things that Luke has specifically recorded to say, yo, check this out. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anything? Paul, when Paul shows up, when Paul, well, I want, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of unpack it as we go through this, through this series. But you can walk through the book of Acts and you'll see over and over and over again, whatever the, whatever the apostles do, Jesus already did. And whatever Jesus did, his followers did. And so when it comes to, back to Peter, and we've got to stop in just a second. We'll do authority next week. This is what we need to reckon with, is that we are being invited to live such good lives, according to God, not according to them, in the view of, among the pagans, that they're going to still accuse you of doing wrong. It's not, there's no, this is not the strategy to win the approval of the crowd. There isn't one, right? You're not trying to do that. We're not trying to... Out left the left. We're not trying to outright the right. We're trying to just be godly, knowing that everybody's going to be throwing rocks at us the whole time. But we're going to do it in such a way that they see it. And then here's the final thing. The result of it is they glorify God. What does that mean? That though they live such good lives among the pagans, where did it go? That although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And here's the final thing. Glorify God on the day he visits us. What does that mean? And I'll warn you on the front end, there's a few possibilities. What does it mean that they will glorify God on the day he visits us? You can't take that first part without the second part. They will glorify God when. Okay. So, and what's the when? The day of visitation. Meaning? He shall bow on every time. Probably the return of Christ. So you think it's about the return of Christ? Possibly. I mean, I, and I think it is. Probably the ultimate thing is when Jesus comes back, they will glorify him. Stuart, what do you think it means? Okay, so do you guys think it means that they will be saved? Some, some are, some, generally speaking, glorifying God is the unique province. Of, in fact, right here in Peter, if you, went, if you looked at, go to the Peter in our very context, verse 9, 2, 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises. That, that's what it means to glorify. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And then two verses later, he's like, they, so they may glorify God. He could be saying, live such good lives among the pagans that though they're throwing rocks at you, like, or, or though they're giving approval to your death, again, Stephen, Paul's converted and transformed and changed. Do we, is this, does this mean that we live such good lives that eventually some of them are going to have their eyes be open and they're going to believe the gospel, they're going to glorify God for his mercy 
That's, that's the hope. That's the hope. Because I, I, I think that we don't, we don't go to that place. We think that if someone's our enemy, then we hope that God's going to destroy them. But, but in, in actuality, our, our mindset has to change, and, and we want them to live with Christ forever. Yeah, that's right. So our, we do this. Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. So yes, Paul will preach in a city, get his head kicked in, um, in the hopes that some of those that were kicking his head in will have their eyes opened and, and come to faith. So that is the hope, for sure. Lily? So is there a possibility that it is talking about individual visitations? Because that's what happened with Paul. He mm. saw their good works yeah. by God when Jesus, when he had a visitation. Yeah, so Lily's saying, is it, is it possible that this isn't about the, re, the final return of Christ, but something else that God may individually... I, th- I think the use of the word us, glorify God on the day he visits us, makes me think that it's, it's the universal, not, not a particular private, but when he comes back for, in plain view of all, something will happen there. But oftentimes things exist in layers. I, I do think it's chiefly a view to, a view to his return. Okay? But could it be that he's glorified in his judgment? Does the, do, do, well, in fact, let's ask this. Is God glorified in the condemnation of the wicked? Yeah. 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 He is, right? Now, we are, it, it's kind of what Paul talks about. We've, we've hit this many times in Corinthians that we smell like Jesus, right? We are the fragrance of Christ. To some, we are the fragrance of life, but to others, the stench of death. And both outcomes, there's just a reality to, the, to this range. So God will be glorified both by the, ex- the um, extension of grace and mercy to undeserving sinners and by the judgment, uh, by his final judgment against sin upon sinners. Both of these things will glorify him. But what we hope for is the first. And in either case, we don't know what the outcome will be. Our job is to live such good lives, according to God, among the pagans. That though we're being accused of, be- being accused, we're also being seen, and the net result is going to be that God is glorified. Now, by the way, there's one more thing that, that splits the difference, just for the sake of just a little note being in here. Um, sometimes glorify God. Do you guys know it's kind of a euphemism for something else? Do you know what it means? When people just say, give glory to God. Do you know what that means? Thank you, Jesus. Uh, okay, we do that too. There, there's, a diff- there's a particularization of it. It means tell the truth. Have you ever heard it? Have you ever seen it in that, in that context? Give... Uh, it shows up a handful of times. Uh, John 9. Go to, go to John. Go to the blind man. I'll show you this. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you know, what I'm, you know what I'm referring to there? When the Pharisees were striking Jesus, they were saying that too. Did they say, give glory to God, like admit that you're a sinner? No, kind of... uh, give glory to God uh, who, struck, who struck you. Oh, okay, interesting. It's like testify. Yes, yeah. So John 9, 24. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And it's a way to say, like, hey, listen, just acknowledge the reality of the situation. Admit the thing that's true. Joshua 7 has it again. Josh, in Joshua, it's, it's the whole Achan story. You guys know the, the Achan story? He says, my son, give glory to God. The, the, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And so there, there might be a sense that it means that they're glorified in, their, in the extension of mercy. Maybe God is glorified uh, in, the, in the expression of his judgment. And it might just mean that all this accusation that you live under, 
right? As you are living good lives among the pagans, still being accused that that when the day comes, the truth will be made known. And we just live. We just wait. We just take the hit. And yeah, you can believe false things about me. You've got a, you know, you got a little while yet to do that. Carry on. But when he comes back, it's all going to be revealed and the truth will be made known. And so I don't need to, I don't, I, I personally actually have a desperate need for vindication. And if, if that's what Peter means, then he's saying, Tim, just shut up about that. Like, all we made clear at the right time. And God will be glorified in the re- revelation of truth. Be patient. It's calm. Okay? That's what it means, I think, to be an alien and a stranger. And what we're going to see over the next number of weeks is that the, the sinful desi- your sinful desires that are internal to you, that are warring against your soul, that you need to step on and push away from, they cover lots of different categories. The first one we'll do will be authority, submission to authority. This one is interesting right now, right now. Um, we, are, we are a people that are struggling with our authorities. Half the country has really hated the president of the United States for the last four years. And the other half of the country is about to really hate the president of the United States for the next four years, Right? What does it mean? What, what were we doing wrong for the last four years? What are we about to do wrong for the next four years? Right? This is a big thing. So submission to authority, man, this is a huge topic. So we'll, we'll, we'll launch into that next week. Okay? That's all we got. Thanks, friends.